We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Immortal Minds. This time joining us, of course, we've got Puckett as, well, we had him last week, the host that everyone knows. Puckett, you're a legend, and it's always a pleasure to have you on, this, on the show. And we've got Mel and Annie from Cloud9White, just recently signed. Uh, Mel, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. I'm on some gamer hours. I honestly just woke up like 30 minutes ago, so I'm honestly feeling great. Nice, nice. Are you on gamer hours as well, Annie? Uh, absolutely. I woke up about uh, 45 minutes ago, so... Oh, well. just someone up me. Okay. <laughs> and Pocket, you just, you just look amazing as always. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, I, I got rowdy last night, and then I had three coffees this morning, so we're coming back to life, and I'm, I'm dog-sitting right now while Molly goes <laughs> shopping for groceries. It's all of snuggling. Uh, but I'm excited. We're going to be talking with the Cloud9 ladies today about a lot of stuff, Dan. So much to talk about recently. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, so Malnani, you, you know, it's already been the case that you've had some performances under the Cloud9 name, which is amazing. Um, but I wanted to get started by just sort of giving or, or allowing people to get to know your story a bit better. You know, how did it kind of come to be that, you know, what, what's the origin story like for, for you know, everybody at Cloud9 Whites? Uh, how deep should I go here? Should I go into my individual you, you can, deepness? Yeah. Or? Let's go Do deep, it. Mel. Like deep, deep. Okay. All the way down uh, the rabbit hole. Let's go. At okay. least four nine deep. Oh my god. Um, like my personal, like competitive, 
like career started I think when I was like 16 I used to go to like local lands for my area I used to play CSGO like a lot um so I would go to like local lands and like I got like third in one of them but they were like a, they were like 1k so it wasn't like a big deal but um after that I kind of just chilled out I just like played ESEA um I was like a producer in CS so for like like there's a organized like a tournament organizer called Winners League and I did like the observing and producing for that show and that kind of got me back into like CS because I'm pretty much paid to watch like tier two North American CS, right? So like in order to observe it, you kind of have to have an understanding of like how the game works. So I kind of was like, okay, this game is pretty sick. Like I'm literally being paid to watch this game and like learn from the game. So um, January of this year, I started playing CS again and I was going to play on an advanced team, but Valorant came out. So I played Valorant instead. And that is when I met Annie and Jazzy. Uh, I met Annie through Jazzy, actually, because I was asking, like, yo, like, what are some nutty girls we can play with for this tournament? And Jazzy was like, oh, there's this girl I've been playing with called Annie. And I watched her stream, and I was like, okay, she's serving very much good Ray's looks right now. She's giving us, she's giving us this fracking power, okay. And so I just played with her for that tournament with, like, a mix. And then afterwards, I was like, okay, I think I can actually, like, build a good team around this, like... I've never really been into female teams beforehand, but when I played with Jazzy and Annie, I was like, yo, this is actually a sick core, and, like, this game is fresh, it's new, and I think we could actually go somewhere with this. So what are the roles? Like, did you guys have roles transferring over from the Counter-Strike universe? Or I guess, Annie, were you also a CS player before Valorant? Um, I was not. I was actually an Overwatch player. And I actually, funny story, I played Reinhardt for, like, I'm Top sorry. 500 so I have like a competitive experience. Like uh, I also competed a lot in tier three, but I actually didn't know how to aim before this game. So I, uh, <laughs> I think one swipe of like my mouse pad, I would do three three sixties, and so I wow. had to completely like change my setup oh and my, my sense God. and everything. So that's crazy. Like for those who don't know Overwatch, Reinhardt is the big guy at the start of every team fight who just holds a shield and hits people with hammers. Like you you get to attack people with a flame strike once every 10 seconds, but that's the only aiming you really have to do as that character. So mm -hmm. to come into Valorant and just start fragging out to where you're getting Mel's attention, what was your agent? Were you just raised right out of the gates? Um yeah, I kind of had like right Right when beta started, I think I literally the first agent I played was Raze. Like I just I really had like an affinity for just the the movement and like I just like felt like really, really powerful on Raze. I don't know. Maybe because people didn't know how to play against her, which was a big thing in beta. So like I would just get like 4K nades every round. But um since I was doing so well with her, I was like, I'm just gonna stick with this agent and eventually started branching out to like others later but i still feel like raise is my uh definitely my main back when you could have like the double paint bombs i can't it's actually unthinkable oh now mm -hmm. like how good that is i was diamond once at raise we uh we were playing gold games last night don't judge me um so can we talk about the the other two so you had your core three mel how did you fill out the rest of the lineup um, so Lexi is actually my best friend for like three years. She's like competed in CS like far more than me. And honestly, she was way better than me in CS. And I actually poached her. <laughs> I poached her from another team. I felt so bad, but I was like, we're looking for one. And I think it'd be really awesome <laughs> to round out our roster. So let me know how you feel. And she was like, yeah, I'm totally down. We tried out with her. We liked her vibe. And um, that's how that came to be. 
Um, for Katsumi, I actually met her purely through Valorant along with Annie. So I, I think I noticed that she was the only other girl at the time in beta that was like even Immortal 3. And I was like, the fact this is like, this is really the only girl like in Immortal 3. And like, she must be sick. So uh, I contacted her on Twitter. She played in the tournament as well. And we tried her out and she was, she was bangers and mash. So that's how we found her as well. <laughs> So how did you sort of assign roles and have those discussions in the team? Was that something that was pretty natural? Obviously, Annie definitely raised main. That probably didn't... <laughs> was oh, yeah. But that was... Up the negotiation, but... That was pretty evident from the rip. Um, I mean, the roles have actually changed from the beginning. At first, we had Jazzy on Cypher, and I was, like, playing the Flash characters. So Breach and Phoenix, I was playing those characters with... Um, with Kat on Smokes. I think Kat was like the only consistent role that's like stayed with us throughout like beta until now. She plays like all the controllers. So she played like um, Brim when he was in meta and now Omen. Uh, Lexi switched from like Sage into Breach pretty much into like a, like characters that initiate. So like a much more support role. But Annie's pretty much like, she's pretty much been raised for the most part. We did, we do have her like on Sova potentially. Uh, we've ran her on Sova for like the a month or so and we had jazzy on silva before she switched to jet so like the current roles is like jazzy's on like duelist characters annie's on duelist characters we have support agents with cat and lexi and then i play our sentinels awesome um well with that said i mean obviously what you guys have going right now together is amazing and it's definitely working out for you but when have you thought about sort of your like mega long-term goals what is like a perfect world looking like for the development of your team and what you're aspiring to achieve uh, i think this is a, almost like everyone's goal like not just ours but like also like everyone else's goal in the tier two scene but we want just want to be a tier one team like we want to win like a tier one tournament we want to compete at tier one and be like considered the same among like tsm sentinels envy cloud nine blue etc that's our ultimate goal how many teams are in tier one like annie i want to get your opinion on this as well for someone who is uh, just outside of that, or at least finishing in the top 32 of the first strike tournament, what what are the tiers in North America specifically right now? Um, I think the tiers are actually kind of like largely undefined right now. I think we've seen that honestly, some t teams that would be considered like tier two are actually better than tier one teams. And uh, I think what is defined as a tier one team right now, or what has been, is simply okay they're signed with a big org right so they have to be tier one but um just first strike has kind of shown that you know there are some tier two teams that are really just like shaking up the meta of the tiers and and really like pushing for tier one and so i would probably say probably like you know 16 teams are probably tier one at this point um there's a most of them are signed obviously but there are a few unsigned teams that I think are really really good competitors and mainly they have um like experience like their mdl x mdl x counter-strike like they're already like semi-pro so they have that experience and they have that team experience coming in and so that really helps them yeah what do you think oh go, go ahead, ahead oh well the plotness battle i'm british so i win i get to win this one <laughs> so you have to you have to answer uh, yeah, sorry. So Mel, we were asking kind of the big picture goals, but before we even got to what you were going to do as a team, did you always want to create an all-female lineup? And is this something you've done in previous titles, or where did that concept come from? No, I've actually almost, like, I've exclusively played on, like, co-ed teams in CS. Like, I've never really been interested in playing in a female team. Like, I've no hate to the female teams. I just, that's just my preference. It's just co-ed. At 
in January this year, I, I think I tried out for one and I was like, okay, whatever. It was, it wasn't like huge of a deal, but, um, I didn't like go into Valorant thinking, yo, I'm going to make an amazing female team. And I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I came into it just wanting to get a good team. And when I got Jazzy and Annie, I thought this was like a good team that also happened to be women. And so we might as well round it out with women as well. So that was, that's kind of what it looked like going into it. That makes a lot of sense. Some of the best things just come together without any planning at all. So that's, that's really cool to hear that backstory. Um, I wanted to go back very quickly to what you were saying, Annie, about sort of having like, you know, 16 sort of tier one teams. What do you think will be the difference in maybe separating those down at some point, at least in, in Counter-Strike, that tends to be this, this um, sort of somewhat clear separation with that, the top eight teams and, and the rest of the pack? Obviously, Valorant's a different game. Um, but what do you think would be the the sort of the separation eventually, or what would it take for that to happen to make to kind of distinguish a clear top eight? I think uh, I think it's actually pretty noticeable now compared to beta, but I think there are clear like distinguished traits of a tier one team right now. Um, just watching like first strike, the difference between you know. Uh, a lot of tier one teams in beta, like TSM specifically, they didn't really have like the team play, the team strats. They were just really good at aiming. You know, they they just took the aim duels. You know, they ego peaked like every round in one. And so they were obviously like a, the best team, the tier one team. But I think that's since changed now that everybody can shoot back. It's It's like they have to actually run strategies and you have to run rotations. And we're seeing... People not just like five man executing sites now because you can't get away with it anymore. Like you need to, you need to run fakes, you need to pull rotates, you need to get info. And so I think the clear um, difference between tier one and tier two right now is definitely their team play more so because I feel like everybody's mechanics are catching up. Like there's not really like a high skill ceiling for the aim per se in this game, but it's more so the strategies that define this game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think uh, I think that's a really good point. Um, and sort of speaking of which, it, I think that kind of segues us nicely into what I think is one of the first uh, big talking points of today with you guys, which is going to be the the new patch. So we've got uh, a lot of changes coming through. Breach is buffed again. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. With it was necessary, Dan. <laughs> had to be done. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. 
From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonus today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So yeah, can we just get what? What is the take on the breach? Because so for those that haven't seen the patch notes, the breach buff is the flash going from one point seven five seconds blinds to two seconds, so more blind time from the flashes, and the last patch obviously giving him an additional flash. So um, breach is definitely if he wasn't a must pick before, I mean he was a must pick before. So I, <laughs> what, what do you guys think? Honestly, okay. Have you did you guys watch the dev interview that was like released before the patch went out? I did not. So what I did I miss there? Actually, okay, I'm gonna have to link the YouTube video. But um, this like YouTube channel actually interviewed like one of the devs that's now in charge of like balancing, mm-hmm. and pretty much their justification for the breach um, buff. I mean, I could be misquoting, so don't take this like directly. But we'll watch it ourselves was... after. Yeah. Okay, sweet, sweet. It was because um, he was getting picked more in ranked, but his win rate was like lower, and so as a result, they're balancing him because of win rate in ranked. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought it was pretty obvious that obviously Breach is going to require more team play, and it's just more fun to play him in like a team-based environment. Mm-hmm. But I was honestly shocked when I heard that. I was like, "There's no joke. There's no way like they're actually balancing him based on win rate of ranked." I, I think he's really strong right now. And um, I had an interesting conversation with Sliggy on his um on his channel when he was live. Um, apparently like every team runs breach in eu like he's like a staple there but in north america you'll usually see him like subbed out for like arena or a phoenix and a lot of teams will favor like duelist over breach which i thought is interesting <laughs> i think it's just very clear cut like play style difference from eu and north america and like the fact that like eu is way more methodical and i think more based in team play and not to say any doesn't have any strategy of course and they don't have really good fundamentals but it's just really interesting to see that it's, it's, it's such a like noticeable difference that one region plays breach on everything and one region does not. Yeah, do you, is, is that something that um, I know that you know you have breach in in your you know uh, lineups and so on and so forth? Um, is it something that you've been experimenting a lot with? Um, with or, you know, is it is it something that you're subbing in and out, or is it sort of a must? you guys i feel like it's a must for our team we run a lot of our defaults and a lot of our setups around breach um noticeably his stun we like to stun somewhere to gain control and we'll either leave somebody there or like continue to push if there's no resistance you know we can flash out for the people if uh we want to keep pushing um we can also like stun and then rotate the breach to the other site so the kind of like fake info because the other team's going to come like oh breach is b but he's actually rotating to a so when they push a you know they just get gatling gun flashed and so i feel like uh, breach has been kind of a core for a while now for like the past month so this uh buff was kind of like hey huh, <laughs> we we get a we get a buff to our you know our meta so i don't get it, it dude i'm okay with it like I think the peak Valorant for me so far this year was just watching Shazam pull off Breach on Ascent when the map was still kind of fresh and the retakes with the ultimates and stuff. I love seeing Breach in competitive play. Um, I don't love seeing two seconds after being flashed, though. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be shock and awe for the next few months. And how long will it take for the developers to maybe 
swap things back to two flashes or make any adjustments? That's the real question for me at the pro level. Oh, let's yeah. see the win rate in ranks. Right? <laughs> and, and I also wonder, like, you know, that's that's kind of a blanket statement, but they are definitely able to identify when people are loading up in five stacks and four stacks and three stacks. Uh, and I wonder if they've looked at that information or if they're just looking at the raw numbers. Oh, he's only winning 42% of the time. We got a buff. Right. This guy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, good luck balancing a game like this for the next decade, because this is just the start. <laughs> and I mean, how many agents are we on? We've got another one coming out, but that didn't happen quite yet, Dan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about Sky, I just wanted to see, Mike, do you have a, a thought on the breach flash situation? I know you do. I think it's really interesting because when you go to two seconds, that not only increases the time you're like fully blind, but that's also the after effect when you're like partially to like, like you go 75, 50, 20%. So, and like Mel said earlier, I watched that interview and it just seemed really strange that they were doing it based off like ranked. Cause if that's the case, wouldn't you say like maybe Brim and Sage deserve more attention than as well because they're not as used so i think it's a really weird that they're going that hard on one agent right now yeah apparently the win rate with brim and sage is still high in ranked even though they're picked less so i think that's all i think they mentioned that as well is that they're still winning in rank so surely it's like a smaller <sighs> sample size as well though because like <laughs> no one think. plays sage no one plays sage Listen, Iron is full of sages, and she is constantly <laughs> winning. It's so weird to me as well, because it, I feel like it can't be as simple as that, because it's like this discussion we always have about, uh, or at least, you know, I, I, I don't believe in tier lists, because it's a, it's a game about synergizing agents. So depending on what you're up against and how you're using your, your teammates around you, that can determine how good an agent might be. Breach is a great you know, case for that. And so I, I really hope that it's not like just about singling out statistics like that around agents, because that's going to be, that's going to not really represent things very accurately. But speaking of agents, obviously we have, well, Sky's supposed to be coming in. Um, Mel, Annie, do you have thoughts as a team already about you know some theory crafting? Is that going on about how Sky might fit into compositions that you may want to run, or do you just need to get your hands on it? Yeah, I think we've already had some thoughts. I think I'll, I'll have to convince them to get them on board with my vision. It's a little... Just just hear me out, okay? Like, Viper okay. is obviously going to be in meta. We're obviously going to see a lot of Viper in the next couple weeks, especially in the next first strike qualifier. But if you think about the fact that... like Speaking to your point about synergy, Dan, it's like, if you have Breach and Viper, I really don't think they synergize very well because if you're using Viper and attack, you're kind of, like, splitting the geometry of the map and you're making your own geometry and, like compartmentalizing map control and breaking up into like smaller pieces denying info if you have breach and the way that like the viper ball splits the map you can't like flash off of it and so if you have a character like phoenix or sky that can pop a flash through your wall i think that synergizes really well together because if you're denying info and they don't push in front of it you can punish that by literally popping behind a wall that you pretty much put up so i think sky and viper will synergize really well in my opinion um, I think, uh, I'm not sure if you guys watch Cloud9 Korea, but they run Viper on Haven, and it's really interesting how they use her for retakes. Um, like, on defense, when they're retaking A, they'll drop the wall, like, behind the default box towards Hell, but they won't, they'll make sure it, it won't clip with the box, because it secures back site control, and the anchor can just survive, and the rotates can come through the wall, pretty much. And the breach on the other team can't flash the behind the wall, because there's no object for them to flash off of. So the Viper completely breaks, like, the breach flashes, like, how uh. 
how long before Viper's in every game? And do you think she's on every map right now, Mel? Or potential to be on think, every map? I don't think every map definitely split. I mean, you kind of have to change your playstyle to incorporate her, but I think the playstyle with Viper is like is a big counter to like a lot of the things going on right now. And like, especially for split where you need to like, you really need to like focus on like map control, especially at a ramps. If you can put a lot of pressure, a ramps and pull the rotates, you have a lot more freedom throughout the map. So definitely on split, I can see some innovating with her on ascent. Um, I can see her on Haven, not as much. I don't, I don't think we'll be seeing Viper on Haven as much, but I've seen some cool things in scrims, but uh, mostly just split and ascent IMO. Oh, Annie, and Icebox. To... Sorry, I completely forgot. Icebox. <laughs> there you go. Annie, when it comes to Sky, who is going to be best suited on your team to play this new agent? Definitely like an initiator role. Uh, so maybe like a Breach, um, maybe swapping out a Breach with Sky, depending on the map, right? Like uh, Mel already kind of touched on, like Breach doesn't really synergize with Viper as well as he could with like other, you know, teams. Because uh, a lot of like the Breach kind of strength is that, you know, we just Gatling gun in, into sight, flash full blind the site like three times. And uh, with Viper, we have to kind of, you know, split the geometry, shift walk in, clear every corner. You know, it's a, it's, it's a little bit more methodical with Viper. And so I think Sky kind of fits a little bit more into that. She can actually like send her bird through the wall, flash it, or like send her wolf through the wall and uh, concuss somebody. So I think with Viper, we might see a little bit more of Sky. Even though, in my opinion, I honestly think Sky is a little bit weaker than Breach. I think Breach is still probably like the best character in the game. I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it's it's super interesting. Like you know, uh, Pocket was saying earlier about you know, good luck right balancing a game like this. There are so many different ways to take it because you could have it could just be that Breach is really good, but as they continue to add agents, there's lots of agents that are really really good. But it's just more about selecting how you synergize with them and combine abilities across your team. So maybe that's maybe that's kind of the future. Although if that is to be the case, I'd expect some buffs. Um, at least for <laughs> Sage, I feel like got just nerfed into into just a really bad <laughs> deep dark place right now. But um, speaking of of nerfs, we did obviously get some nerfs um, on this patch as well. A cipher. Uh, he had his trip his uh, trip wire and well actually in the patch notes it says trap wire but I've always said trip wire is it trap wire or trip it's wire? It's been trap, trap wire, but I've always said trip wire, hundred <laughs> percent. I hate that. It's always bothered me from beta. I'm like, why They're would to you be call quirky. it a trap wire? Maybe trip wire is like a patented like thing in real life. Maybe it's like actual like a company name for like the trip wire. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking the opposite. I was like, Riot's definitely trying to trademark this. Like trap wire is. <laughs> A new thing, and they're going to sell trap wire toys for kids. Anyway, yeah, that I saw that. I just blew my mind. I'm just like that. But what? I don't. Anyway, um, so his trips get disabled. I'm never. His traps get disabled <laughs> upon death. So, um, I think that's. Is that going to be impactful? How impactful is that as as a as a nerf? Do we think? Okay, as a sentinel man, I think I can speak on this. Mm -hmm. I think. Okay. How do I word this? So obviously that means you can't play as aggro as a cypher as you want to be. And your lurks as a cypher are going to be like way harder. Like you're going to have to be like a hard, like shot, like, like a hard, happy lurk. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's going to be a minute before you get to the bomb site, sis, or you're just going to have to five man sites because you're it's effectively useless after you die. But I think what more so affects cypher's pick rate is actually the changes they made to Killjoy. 
the Killjoy changes are actually, like, insane. Like, it's actually a buff. Like, obviously, you can't be next to your gadgets after, like, 40 meters they are going to turn off. But the cooldown changes are, like, you can't not play Killjoy. Like, you can duel with Killjoy now. When, like, before, it's, like, you can kind of take map control by yourself. Like, you, you, I think you guys have seen Mitch, like, his gameplay as uh, Killjoy. He, like, leads into the duel with his um, with his turret. But you can do that way more often now. Like, it's actually insane. Like, you could honestly duel sides as a Lyric, and it's... It's really fun because, like, it's the turret literally takes the spray for you, and then you just peek on the inaccuracy, and you just get the info from where they are because they have to shoot it. So right. I think that I think that more so is going to affect Cypher's pick rate because Killjoy is way more stronger now. Is I it time well. to get rid of Cypher? Like, I feel like since the beta, he was a mainstay on every single comp, uh, regardless of the map. Like, is this is this the solution? Was that even a problem? As a Sentinel, are you okay with this? I mean, he's definitely gotten weaker. His gadgets are honestly so easy to, like, to read. Like, if you just have, if you play against a good Sova or Raze, it's like, they usually have lineups, or they usually take it out in the middle of the round. And so you can't really get as many cheese kills as you would, like, in ranked. People are just way more, like, they have more of affinity to it. But I think, I think he'll have some niche use with his info. I know that the devs said they want to, like, distinguish different identities between Cypher and Killjoy Sentinels. They want Cypher to be more of, like, creating, like, an information network throughout the map and they want like killjoy to be like a hard anchor and this is like their way of like kind of separating the two but so i think zypher will have some niche use when it comes to like map control like on ascent there's like really cool cams you can do for like mid that you can pop every now and then and get info mid round you can see all of mid like even front cat and you can see their rotates really well but other than that you're going to see a lot more killjoy especially with um cloud nine showcasing some killjoy setups on bind which is considered her weakest map but they looked really good on it so and you were mentioning that Killjoy now can kind of control more of the map, that she's way more mobile, she can be more impactful in fights. Does that mean you can now be running Cypher and Killjoy in every single one of my matchmaking games? Mm, Is that I, what I'm going to see? Or will think, it just be one or the other? Okay, definitely in your ranked games, people will pick Double Sentinel to crutch for sure. But in in uh, like competitive play, I don't think you'll see Cypher in, um, in Killjoy too often. Okay. Good answer. Back to you, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> and just, just to clarify for those who didn't read all of the changes, uh, for Killjoy, you've got to be within 40 meters now for your alarm bot or turret to actually activate. So if you go out of that range, they will deactivate. And the bot pickup cooldown uh, cool, cool is uh, now changed from 20 seconds to 7 seconds. So just like Mel was saying, you can kind of pick it up and, and you know change the position quite frequently. And the other one we didn't mention, actually, is the Nanoswarm uh, range in which the Nanoswarm can be detected went from 5 meters to 3.5 meters, which almost feels like that must mean that you're in the radius of the, of the Nanoswarm almost when you detect it. And the DPS went up from 40 to 45 on the Nanoswarm. So, yeah, it's, it's quite a host of buffs. I, I definitely want to get, Mike, do, do you have any input on these? Because I know that you've, you're just theory crafting 24-7. Well, with the Cypher thing, I feel like it's either two things that they're trying to change about it, and it's either that they don't want the flanks to be covered after he dies for, like, ranked purposes, or the, like, a lot of teams will do this where if you're in a disadvantage on, like, the defender's side, like, it's 3v4 on bind, and you have all of your Cypher stuff set up at B, it's like, why not take a gamble, stack A, and then you still get all the information on the other side. So I feel like that might be it as well, especially if your Cypher dies. They don't want you to have that much gambling power, I guess. 
I think Killjoy is like like you said, it's a really good buff, and I think people are underrating how large forty meters is on any map. Right, right. What's the what's the radius of how many meters is the um the sound for running actually? Forty Do meters we, actually. Is that 40, 40 meters so that circle? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's it's it, like just out of forty meters. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So then you can kind of easily judge it by the running, kind of the, the circle that, that appears to show the radius of the running sound. That makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so the I guess one of the next more significant changes of this patch was how they changed the um, the impact of saving your weapons. So if you if you save your weapons, um, if you're an attacker or a defender, you've lost the round, you go to save, it's going to be just a thousand credits. So you're not going to be uh, rewarded as much potentially. Um, do we like this? Nah, but I can see why. I mean, and I think maybe you should answer. I'm dumb when it comes to economy because I'm dumb. IG. I, I suddenly don't know anything. <laughs> I feel like I've been talking so much. You take this one, sis. Um, I don't know. This kind of feels like it's like, it's like slightly more of a nerf to defense, to be honest. Because if you plant the spike, I'm pretty sure you still get like uh, more money, right? So if you if you plant the spike and save, you actually like can uh, save a lot more money than if you just were saving on defense. So I feel like this is kind of like countering people who like, you know, the because there, there's teams that will just four man save on defense. And I, I still think you should do that in some cases where it kind of looks unwinnable and you have no money for the next round. But um, I'm ho I'm honestly like, OK, with the changes for now. I could change my mind later, but um, I just thought it was kind of weird that, you know, in, in pro play, especially when teams save six rounds in a row, uh, it's just kind of like, uh, all right, maybe maybe this is a, a little bit of a an issue, you know what I mean? So I hope we see some, like, change in, in the way teams approach maybe retakes and rather go for kills rather than, you know, just full-on saving in the backside of B, so. Um, but... Yeah, I'll have to see. I I could totally change my mind, but right now I think I'm okay with it. Um, I just haven't played on it yet, and I haven't gotten a feel for it yet. But I've always been kind of someone who thought saving was kind of uh, cowardly. <laughs> I like that. That's that Overwatch strat. Just, just die with like, the I team. Like I want to feed. Like what the hell? <laughs> just die with the team. Come back and spawn together. Um. On these topics, it seems like across the board, they're just trying to make it harder for defense, right? I feel like they've looked at mm -hmm. the numbers and defense is favored across the board yeah. of matchmaking and most of the pro play. Um, are there any maps right now that you guys would feel are offensive oriented or offense should have the advantage at half? Haven. Yeah, Haven for sure. And then Icebox at all, or do we not know yet? I have no oh, idea. We don't know yet. <laughs> Honestly, I would say maybe even Icebox is a little bit attacker-sided. Uh, just the way the layout of the map is, it actually gives way more control to... Uh, at the start, it like looks like there's way more control to the defense, but when it actually plays out, you can pretty much, like, uh, on attacker, you can take mid way faster. Um, you can take the high ground in, like, what is it, like the B site where the... Uh, tubes are and everything like the gen site like you have you can set an opera up on high ground um i think the biggest issue is probably pushing in through the cargo containers because it's a big choke point but i think once you can control like the yellow box area you can plant uh right next 
to these boxes and hold it there. So I don't know. Uh, as it plays out, I might say that it's actually a little bit more attacker sided depending on the setups that we see for teams. Okay. And those rotation times too feels like that's mm -hmm. can get awkward for the defenders too. Um, which is it's gonna be interesting because it is in terms of a layout, it's such a uh, such a novel map, which is awesome. I think that's exactly what we kind of wanted to see coming into into Valorant. It's something completely different. And I'm really curious if we're going to see some stuff that looks completely wacky in terms of how you play defense compared to other maps, just because of that fact. Like, you know, people are looking at it as, as it is a more conventional map, but it is very different. And you may have to like mitigate some of those rotation times by playing more aggressively as the defense. That's, that's often how it can work, but uh, we'll see. I can't wait to see what like the, the teams like really do when they get, sink their teeth into it um, over time. But um, <laughs> and as, I mean, it's not exactly an important change, but is anyone, um, either of you, Mel, any you playing with the left-handed view model now, now that that's uh, <laughs> in the game? Dude, I wanted to so bad, and I didn't get to play it because I was literally asleep when they ran the patch back. I was like, dude, I didn't even get to try it, but I really want to. I cannot wait for the patch can, tomorrow. Can we explain this to like all the Halo kids out there, the console guys, my people? Um, what is the difference with the right hand to left hand? Why is that an important patch note? Uh, okay for me it's complete placebo just for the record but for me i feel like i can see more i swear to god i can see more like on the right side of my screen i think it's because i'm like i don't I think i'm right eye dominant or something but i swear i can see more i just feel like i ignore the gun more and i can actually see what's going on i don't know complete placebo but <laughs> annie do you have any thoughts on this have you ever tried a game where you're shooting just out of the left hand i've never tried it before <laughs> i'd be curious too maybe like in ranked or something <laughs> it's funny because in in like 1.6 there was i don't know if it was like a bug or what happened but sometimes you load the game and you just be like in the left-handed view model and you'd have to like you know drop down the console and do cl underscore right hand one oh and it, and and i i wondered if that's like why a lot of people played with it just because they just <laughs> bothered to just tie that command all the time it's just like i just screw it let's do this but yeah it's a really weird one i'm i'm, I'm curious how many people will actually use it of like the newer generation of players um but um, I'm going to, so let's, we can move on from the patch discussion. I don't think there's anything that we, we missed. Um, but Mike, I want to quickly check in with you. Is there anything that we didn't mention that should be an obvious talking point out of the patch notes or a consideration that we missed? Uh, not really. I think like the economy changes because I was talking to someone the other day and I was saying, like, at some point they're going to change the economy system. So knowing like the loss bonus and like, um, how much money you get from the spike and all that stuff is actually going to matter. And now it kind of does because before you could just save on any rounds and then you get like up to 2,900 if you're attacking loss max bonus or 3,000 or just like 2,900 max for loss bonus. So that's a whole nother rifle you drop over. Whereas now it feels like they're really trying to punish saving, but I don't know if you have noticed this, Dan, but it feels like early 2015 CS where teams go for like a lot of 3v5 retake sometimes where you have no shot of winning it, but you still go for it anyways. It didn't feel like there was as much saving as maybe Riot thinks there has been. Yeah, that's actually, that is actually a very good point. There is this element where I think it even goes to when we're talking about just maps and so on, um, how defender or attacker side of things are there is just like this evolution generally of 
teams understanding the numbers, as it were, before they go into a, a fight um, with the mat knowledge that they have, knowing, okay, we kind of ha we have to have this position first to even have a chance. Okay, well, if, if you establish that piece of information, what are the, the other pieces of information that you know you need? To, like, for example, on, in, on Inferno, on CS, like you need to have construction to have a retake that's possible as the CT is rotating into the site. If you don't have construction, you're just going to lose the round, even if you're... Um, even if they have maybe the advantage on the player numbers, possibly. So I think there are, there's certain pieces of information that seem like people haven't quite worked out everything just yet. And so, yeah, I completely agree with that statement. I think it's, it is something that, like, what, what was that insane um, retake that we had was, uh, like with 100 Thieves? Oh, God, who were they playing? On Haven. Oh, my God. I can't help you, Dan. Like, I want to help you. Was it when they were playing TSM? Or the one where they're up 4v2 on A site? Yes, yes, Yeah, yes, that yes. was versus TSM, and two of them push spawn, and then they defuse. Yes, exactly. Oh my yeah. God, so, 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 <laughs> so stuff like that is happening at the tier 1 level. That stuff would never happen to, like, Astralis and CS, you know? Like, so, yeah, right. so, yeah, I just feel like there's some data that's kind of muddying the waters a little bit right now, but we'll see how that develops over time. Um, it, in CS as well, uh, I got to say, like the development was so slow in comparison to Valorant. So, like it took I, as a commentator in like 2015, I was like, I wonder when teams will learn to use grenades. And it's like we're into, we're getting to like 2017, and Astralis like start like showing people how this is done. I'm like, this has been like a couple of years now. Like <laughs> this is starting to happen. I thought this was going to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long do you guys think it'll take for a team to reach like Astralis level in Valorant? I feel like it's gonna be like five years. I think it's honestly. only two. I think it's two years. Bold. I think because you have big brains from multiple titles and you have insane resources on the analytical side and on just the coaching staff with riot money coming in, I think you could see someone fast track it. But I don't think it happens in North America or Europe. I think it happens in Korea. Really? Ooh, there we go. Yeah, this yeah. is the Overwatch kid speaking. You know, like we've seen it before. <laughs> South, South Korea has like just in some insane head coaches and they just figure this stuff out with their coaching staff and then can trickle it down. It doesn't matter the player talent level as long as the, the coaches can drill that in. I think it could happen to any of the top tier teams. I, I kind of am leaning towards that too because I think part of the reason it was slower in CS was also the fact that of how like organic Counter-Strike is, how free, kind of free market it is. And so, like, standardizing things with the top teams wasn't really a thing. But I think if, if Riot goes the franchise route, things will get standardized pretty quickly in terms of, um, you know, as Buck is mentioning, like, coaching staff and how things should be done and the kind of professionalism that's, that's going to be present. And I think that there is already going to be a carryover. From, I think we're seeing this. We kind of talked about this briefly, I think, on one of the previous episodes about the carryover from some of the CS players who have played in the Tier 1 and have, had, have experienced that and are bringing across some of that experience. So... Yeah, I, th I think it'll be pretty quick. I think Valorant is going to benefit a lot from from all the past um, in terms of how the game's going to be played. Plus, it's super tactical and strategic. So, and and it's less of an emphasis on mechanics. Like, um, uh, I think you were making this point, Annie. And and so, yeah, I, I I'm hope I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. What so, do you yeah. think, Mike? You're you're, 10, a, you're a coach. 2022 is my prediction. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> Damn. Um. Right. Oh God. No, you, you, you go ahead, Mike, because we'll, we'll, we'll get your answer on this one. And uh, as, as a coach, get your thoughts on this, and then we'll move on to talking about some first strike stuff. 
I feel like two years is a pretty good timeline just because, like you said, it will be a lot more structured and stable with a lot of teams because there's a lot of teams that already have, like, one coach and are looking at getting analysts and assistant coaches down the line, whereas in CS it kind of felt like um, at the start it was like, okay, we'll just have one coach do everything. That totally seems like a reasonable thing for us to do. <laughs> and in this game I feel like they're going to try to – get the most value out of each person on their staff for each player so i feel like structure wise it's going to be a lot better for growth for each team yeah i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's going to look in the world of valorant um but um so i wanted to move things on to like talking about first strike obviously because we've had all the all of these these first strike games that have been played but um given that we have um two c9 white players um mel and annie i'd love to hear your thoughts on sort of your journey through the tournament again it's the first big tournament that you've played under the banner of cloud nine white and you know you started off with a 2-0 against penn state in hollywood hooligans um you know can you kind of run us through some of those games and and sort of like your takeaways um from that experience and can we pause real quick even before oh, that sure. i want to hear just like annie when you first heard of the first strike it gets announced like, what was going through your head? What was the team's conversations? Like, what did this mean as a player? Dude, for me, this was like a time to like actually make people put respect on our name, especially because this would be like our debut. So, I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody, but for me, I was playing the game like 12 hours a day, like for like weeks before First Strike because I wanted to basically perform. Like, I wanted to... I wanted to debut and like come out strong. I didn't just want to like, you know, come out looking weak and uh I'm I'm sure everybody else kind of felt the same uh, to a certain degree that like you know, this is our first debut match under the C9 banner. Like we need to like perform. We need to be really solid looking. Like even if we lose, it's not a big deal. We just need to look good losing, you know? <laughs> Keep it close. Um, and, and then Mel, as Dan mentioned, like, can you walk us through some of the early matches? Because we were fortunate enough to be able to watch you guys on stream. You're on the featured stream from Nerd Street Gamers, but talk us through kind of the tournament. Uh, so we got seated six, and obviously I think that's pretty controversial. I just want to say now that we have no effect on the seating. I do not have any input on how that works. That is purely on Riot's end. Please stop sending us hate. Thank you. Please direct that to someone else because I have zero influence on that decision. Um, so uh, honestly, our side of the bracket was pretty easy. We had like Penn State. Um, I mean, I think the score speaks for itself. That was a pretty easy game. We made sure we tried to like play as disciplined as possible the whole time. I think it's good that even if you feel like your opponent is like weaker than you, you don't want to underestimate them. You want to like have a clean as a victory as you can. So just like 13 of them, like as hard as you can, if you can, you know. Um, against Hollywood Hooligans. Um, I actually recognize a couple of these names because I've met them at LAN before <laughs> in That's CS. Cool. Yeah, like some like tier two, tier three LANs in um, North America. Fragadelphia, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it. So, mm -hmm. I'm sure Puckett has. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure DDK has too because obviously you come from CS, but I know you're like more on the EU side of things. But, yeah, I've, um, I've heard, of, uh, heard of Fragadelphia. Okay, sweet. Um, but yeah, I recognize a couple of those names. That one, it was a little shaky at first. I think it was honestly mostly nerves. There was a lot of nerves going into this, obviously representing like the Cloud9 brand for the first time. And also this was like our first big tournament in a while. And so we had like a lot to prove and like a lot of pressure. So I think that was a part of it, but that went pretty well as well. Um, 
I think we, I think the first map, like I said, was a little rough. The second map, we were, like really got into our stride. We like had a really good attacker's ascent, and I think we kind of capitalized on like maybe their inexperience in playing Valorant. They didn't seem like they were like a team for a super long time, or that they played Valorant for a super long time. So that helped as well. That what were sense. you what were you most nervous going into, Annie? Was there any one particular matchup? Was it the first one of the tournament? Was it going up against the hooligan, slimy a little bit later? Was there ever a moment where you came in and were just like a little bit off? Um, yeah, I mean definitely the first game I was nervous as hell, like because it's like, all right, if we play bad, this is, people are gonna judge us for like years, like based off of our like our first you know, our first game. And so I really, I really try to like channel my anxiety with like how I play. Like I just try to like meme and like goof around. So like, like, I think like my first, the first round, I just 360 classic somebody. And like, that was like me just kind of like manifesting my anxiety a little bit. Like I just wanted to like, to like, I, I guess like calm, I'm calm my mental and like really just come out, you know, guns blazing and really show that uh, we deserve to be here you know what i mean and we it's it's it was like debated in reddit like oh dude can these teams even work and then it's like you know all the reddit you know masterminds oh my god who are in silver <laughs> are like debating if we should you know have a spot and i just wanted to say yeah like i just wanted to say yeah we deserve a spot here and so um i think after this the we won the first game uh, a lot of my nerves went away but i was still nervous because uh I was even more nervous actually going into the third game because it's like, all right, now this is for real. Like the we're going against a good, like a really good team. And uh if we win this, we qualify, basically. So like um I definitely got like way too nervous and overthink a lot of the first game. Like I feel like my performance really suffered just from uh my nerves on the third And for game. those who are worried about her performance numbers, I was looking at the matchup against Hollywood Hooligans. By the way, that was your second match, I believe. Uh, 45 and 29 with 17 assists were Annie's numbers on raise throughout that matchup. <laughs> so after the 360 Classic, it seemed like the rest of your shots were starting to hit. Um, mm -hmm. Mel, were, were you nervous as an in-game leader throughout this process at all? Was there any moments where you were, you were worried that you might lose one of the earlier matchups? Um... Okay, we did have to come back from like a 3-9 deficit against Hollywood Hooligans on Vine. So that was definitely, I was like, Maka W, we started defense and we got 3-9. <laughs> now we're on attack. Now I actually have to call and carry like with my calls because every round matters. Um, I think that was the only time I was really nervous was when I was like, okay, yikes, 3-9. But we have to get our mental back. I need to make some like really good calls this half and everyone needs to like pop off pretty much. But um, I think when we get, when we go into like deeper like deeper into the bracket against teams like Sami Boogerman, it's like I'm more so scared, like nervous as an IGL when it comes to like gimmick plays because when you see a gimmick play for like the first time, it catches you really off guard. And usually we scrim a lot so like we can understand like, okay, this is like, these are the dozen gimmick plays people do. But if someone brings something completely new, it's really hard to read that in like the middle of a match as an IGL and to like counter that. Like something you've never seen before, it's super hard to read, honestly, in the middle of the game, especially when you're trying to balance playing your own game like running your own game plan and like also like counter-striding them as well. I think that's a problem that like a lot of IGLs run into, at least in tier one. I'm not saying this is like a tier one match. I'm just saying I could, I could see how it's difficult to balance your own game with like a counter the game of your opponent. But, and um, what are some yeah. of the gimmicks for those like that haven't run into this? They, they haven't played at the same organized level. Can you give us an example of some of the gimmick plays that were thrown at you? Like, like, let's say for example, like 
this one isn't as like a gimmick anymore, but like let like be long on binds. If you put a cipher camera above the teleport and you hold on it and you sit in the corner in octagon as cipher and you don't pop it once and the enemy team walks up and you've never run this setup before and you see them on radar, you have an omen blind from like elbow, like not elbow but like the cubby. And if that's the first time they've ever seen it, you pretty much wipe two of them. Like it's they're full blind. They have no idea the camera's there. They have no idea you run the setup. And it's it's instantly like a five v three you win the round. So it's Got like it. stuff like that they've never seen. It's like oh, it's so annoying to deal with in the middle of a game if you've never seen it. Yeah, because you just <laughs> you, you you turn, you see a camera, and you're omen blinded, and then two and people dead. swing you. So like, it, when you when that happens to you, you're like you're kind of you kind of can't do anything against it. Like you just have to predict that that play is going to happen essentially. Understood. Yeah, that sounds really annoying. I know that's one of the things in Valorant that's kind of a scary prospect and might lead teams to hiding as many of their games as possible because of like if you find stuff like this, that kind of stuff can I feel like it can win you a game, can put you in a position to like really win a game in Valorant because you have less match rounds than in CS. Um, but it's 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 interesting. Like, are you getting any like, or what is the kind of support like with Cloud Nine? Um, is it the case that you're benefiting from some of the the staff? Um, that the main team is benefiting from? You know, how is the kind of the onboarding process working there? Are you uh, playing against or, or getting some benefit from, um, you know, Cloud9 Blue? How's, how's, all that, how's that dynamic working in terms of helping facilitate the growth um, of your team? Uh, we haven't scrimmed Cloud9 Blue yet. There are definitely plans in place where we're going to have like in-houses with them. And the idea is like as a sister team, they can play us and it's like the strats won't get leaked to so, like, send tsm and so on and so forth so they can safely run strats against like a good team and see like what the reaction would be and see if it's like a good practice right without getting it out to um their actual like opponents pretty much so that's like one thing that we plan on doing in the future we do get support staff we have i can't really talk too much about it until it's announced but okay we do have like equal to the to the male team that is awesome yeah. yeah that's great Jack takes care of his player. Shout out to Jack. Uh, Jack, where's my Cloud9 shirt? I'm wearing Dignitas today. Um, <laughs> so, but Mel, I, I wanted to kind of ask about Swami Boogerman because both Cloud9 teams matched up against this team, right? After your loss to them, did you give any notes to the Blue team or did your, your team talk to Blue at all or did they just handle their own business? Yeah, there were, I can't speak too much, but yeah, there were notes given. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, that's got to be one of the benefits of having sister teams. Like, oh, a lot of people are wondering, how do you get in at Valorant and at what level? Uh, is it worth investing in two or three teams? Like, if you looked at Fortnite, Ghost Gaming owned, like, 48 players going into the World Cup. Like, they just were trying to get a, a big spread there. But I'm looking at Valorant and in the competitive universe, and I think... You could definitely own a tier one team, potentially two tier one teams before franchising officially happens and you have to split. So that could that could definitely be an advantage um, as we see future qualifiers. But I feel like Cloud9 is the only team I'm aware of that has two in the same region. Is there any team that has two? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so, but I've heard that Gen G is trying to also acquire a female roster. Does C9 Korea have two teams? Because I heard they had like an academy team, basically. But so that would mean they would have C9 would have four teams in total. They have an academy team in Korea. What? I I heard that they had an academy team, but I haven't seen like anything about them. I know the Vision Strikers guys also have Quantum Strikers, but I think they're considered two separate entities. But it's like basically the same thing. 
Can't say I've heard of that. I, I honestly don't think so. That, that sounds like fake news. Yeah, fake news. Okay, <laughs> fake news. Cancel it. <laughs> um, so on, on... comments in chat. <laughs> <laughs> I swear they always have the most inaccurate information sometimes, dude. I was reading a Reddit comment about us and I was like, how did you get this so wrong? I don't even understand. Like, where did you, who even told you this? <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, like, speaking of Vision Strikers, I think on, on Bind I noticed um, maybe a Vision Strikers inspired uh, strat, which I know that Cloud9 Blue is a fan of as well <laughs> when we spoke <laughs> with them, um, which is like the the kind of breach jet combo on short a for the like sh uh, back showers attack um other like speaking of you know like taking from teams and, and being inspired by uh watching teams and trying to emulate things that you think that they're doing that's really good is are there any you know standout teams for you on the on the top level that you're like we really like how this team plays or we really you know we, we try to like borrow stuff from this team um we do a lot from like the asian scene because it's like it's not like the same as North America. So it's not like we're going to take a shot from like TSM, but everyone's going to know like the TSM strike. Like, not a ton of people watch Asian, like Valorant. I almost said Asian Counter Strike. But um, <laughs> yeah, Vision Strikers. <laughs> Cloud9 Korea and Absolute Jupiter. I try to like pick up on like the things that they do. And I know that our, our staff does as well. Awesome. Andy, do you look at any other players and try and emulate their play style? Or it looks like you have your own flair doing 360 classic headshots. Um, honestly, I try to like definitely be my own inspiration. Like I, I like to like experiment myself and like really I want to be like an innovator uh, myself. Like I want to be that player that like people steal strats from and, and plays from. And so I guess I don't really like look up to anybody in the pro scene, but rather I just look at like teams overall and team strategies, not like a specific player. Do you have any favorite teams that you like to watch their footage? Um, Obviously. It's very basic, but Vision Strikers, like, I just like to see their aggression. I think they're, like, the perfect aggressive team. And uh, obviously, we like to be, like, a mix of, like, passive and aggressive to, t like, make the enemy guess. But um, I'm definitely, like, an aggressive player. Like, I like to do those, like, satchel ins and, like, uh, die. So <laughs> <laughs> many theaters. Take two nice. with you. I feel that uh, the Quake player in me agrees with this. Um, right, so it's uh, time to move on to the Ask Us Anything segment. So you guys in the chat, you can ask anybody on the show any question you like, and we will select them and read them out for you. And uh, whilst whilst we get some questions building up, we do this every time. I don't know if <laughs> it feels like it's, it's a good warm-up question, but Phantom or Vandal? Annie, go um... The Vandal's been kind of clean lately. I don't know, but uh, I think the Phantom, if I'm like really trying to win, I think I will always pick the Phantom because it's like kind of, it's kind of different like playing in scrims versus playing in ranked. Because if I'm playing in ranked, I'm just going to peek mid or like long B with a Vandal and just headshot them. But like in scrims, I'm never going to be like peeking alone. I'm going to be playing in a corner with a Phantom. You know, I'm going to let them right. walk into me. So it's like, it's the different play style. Usually, um, I think you can find success with a Vandal, but I think it's pretty evident by the majority of the pros in even just like first strike. I think Phantom was picked, what, 90 plus percent of the time. So 
What about you, Mel? I, I like it. I, I think it's like, for me, it's, it depends on the map, what area of the map, what duel I'm taking, and what agent I'm playing. It comes down to like all of that. As Sentinel, I usually pick Phantom because you can just secure multi-kills way more easy. Like, it's just pretty free. Um, I think on Jet 2 with the Phantom is good because the inaccuracy is, is better. I'm sorry, the, the accuracy is better with the Phantom while moving, and since you're Jet, you're very mobile. So I think that's like a perfect character for that. If I'm like on long B and I'm taking a fight long B and I know that I'm playing long B, then I'll probably buy a Vandal for like the, the long range duel. So it's most of the time like 80% like Phantom. Dan, I got a good one here from Isaac J10. He's coming out swinging. Who is the best player in North America? Let's start with you, Annie. You're on the clock. Oh, uh... You know, I want to say tens because that's like every, what everybody thinks. Uh, but dude, I don't know. Uh, sometimes tens is hit or miss, dude. Sometimes you just bottom frags, and uh, maybe the inconsistency might uh, be exploited by some people. So maybe uh, we could see like a new star pretty soon. Someone who's like really, really consistent. They don't have to drop 40 kills every game, but as long as they're consistently dropping above 20, I think that's a really, really, really good player. Are there any in mind? Um, none that come to mind, though. Okay. What about you, Mel? Best player in North America? Um, okay. First, popular answer, tens. If I just wanted to go with the crowd. I think it's pretty, <laughs> like his stats like are unreal. Like if you just look statistically from a logic point of view, it's like he's at the top of everything. It's like unquestionable pretty much. But if I were to right say like my personal opinion, first. yeah. Dude, Sorry, his win rate, I'm saying, bro, if y'all want to talk about win rate and stats, go look at tens. But um in terms of like mechanical skill, like shot up really impressed me in the industry tournament. Unfortunately Immortals was knocked out early. I think that's like a result of their playstyle, which I won't get into, but um his mechanical skill is like incredible. Like it's through the roof. Like his potential is insane. Dan, can yeah, I actually get thought about it. Uh, maybe Genji Sean is someone. Genji Sean. Oh yeah, dude. Is someone who like has just like, absolutely ooh. come out swinging. Like he he's he literally is acing TSM, and this is someone who has no prior, like right. pro experience. So that's uh, like the pickup of the year so far. Is like you know <laughs> when we were watching the uh, the event out in LA, Dan. I felt like watching Shanks was really fun for me. <laughs> Sean was the first strike player of the tournament to watch this time around yeah Absolutely. it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens because i think in valorant too there is always this element of when you when you have that debut performance people can be very surprised but once like but how do you replicate that i think going to what annie was saying like the consistency when people know everyone i think that's actually, actually what impressed me about sinatra um when sinatra was good with sentinels it wasn't just that sinatra came up and it was amazing it was that he continued to be amazing and continued to have huge impact um with with in particular you know sova so i think it's a really hard question to answer especially now because we haven't had many tournaments recently and because because before maybe a month ago i would probably still have said in my in my mind i feel like sinatra still has this like very incredible impact on the matches he plays at least with sova and i don't know any other player that i'm like that has that level of impact on one agent but, uh, but yeah, I'll have to think about that a little bit more. But that's, I think that's my okay. Player, I think my oh, player to watch is going to be Corey. Oh, yeah. Corey yeah. from FaZe. I'm looking at Baby Bay and Rockets and saying, what the hell are you guys doing? I watched you in Overwatch. I know what you can do. But what are you doing in Valorant right now? You need to step <laughs> it up because Corey has had the same amount of time to adapt, and the man is fragging out. He just needs a little bit more support. Uh, but I think Corey 
for me right now needs to be like on the top five players to watch list if you're if you're not already aware of this guy from face clan yeah i know a lot of people have been mentioning Corey's name and uh yeah i'm, I'm uh I've, I've been checking out his stream watching him play uh and his his aim is kind of nuts that's actually what everyone speaks about with Corey is his aim um so yeah i'm really curious again we need more tournaments man. dude the first international land is just i can't i just can't i just need that <laughs> i think we all do um it's but gonna be nice. Doom Bros asks, what is the most OP ability in the game? Hmm. Elven Blind. That's, that's a good answer, actually. Awesome. Really? Why is that? Um, it's like the size of like uh, three school buses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a tunnel of blind. Yeah, and I think... Uh, like, we're only just going to see even more setups from it. Uh, actually, like, something C9 did on Bind was, you know, how they have uh, the blind down, you know, be long, but they also did it in U-Haul. They had, you know, Shinobi in U-Haul. He blinds off contact for uh, Relics, who's on top of truck. Truck swings just a little bit to the left off the blind. Gets, like, a triple every time. Like, it's it's just one of the strongest abilities in the game, for sure. Okay, yeah, I agree. It's like a powerful zoning tool and you're blind, so it's it's pretty banger. Dan, do you have an answer to that one? Ooh. A lot of people in the chat are saying Jets Dash, and it does feel like Jets Dash is kind of insane. It's definitely up there. Uh, it's definitely hard to pick one, but just the way that it operates in, like, attack FPS, the fact that you can get an un untradeable kill at the beginning of a round is pretty pretty epic so i might have to i'm leaning into the jet dash right now oh you're right honestly wait you're kind of convincing me <laughs> i was gonna like, try me, like, that's, screen, but... that's an ultimate not an ability um okay so we're gonna chat let us know what you guys think is is the best answer there. there's a lot of really good abilities in this game right now and we're going to get even more agents. Does Sky have any overpowered abilities? I, I looked at all those and I was like, those are all kind of mediocre. I haven't tried her yet, honestly. I think Annie okay. might have a take. Too early to tell, but... The Flash is good my info. From like a, I got to play test her too. Um, I didn't think she was that strong. Like, uh, I don't know. I just didn't, I didn't think she would be better than Breach, but maybe I'll eat my socks if she ends up becoming 100% meta. So. <laughs> Eat my socks. Uh, I saw a good question, and sorry, I can't find the name of who asked this one, but they were saying, which Tier 2 teams do you think will be making it into Tier 1 soon? And feel free to say yourselves. Equinox. Yeah, Equinox really showed up. Uh, I think people are talking about Moon Raccoons, too. They've been doing pretty well against the good teams. I I see someone saying LG. I'm pretty sure LG is like tier one already. Am I wrong? Kind of in between, I think. They're bordering, yeah. I think. Yeah. I'd put an uh, X set up there. And how big is tier one? Is it eight teams? Is it sixteen teams? That's what I'm I'm still trying to figure out in this Valorant universe. I think it's still too early to say like what team is like actually a tier one team. Uh, I think. It used to just be whoever was signed to like a big org was tier one, considered tier one. But I think it's definitely it's definitely shifting as other teams are catching up on team fundamentals. 
I think uh, we can safely define who's tier one when teams have been together for like a year. Yeah, and I, I, th I, I think, think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, oh. I saw you. I cu I cut you off. I feel mean. Okay. I I was just gonna say. I think it's. I think um one of the the things that people think about with tier one too is that they look at the the rankings and they'll see the the top eight and it's like okay, well those are the teams that are the top eight. And I think that the question here, I think, and I think what makes uh Annie's perspective on this like particularly relevant is the fact that we don't have enough tournaments in a game where the meta can shift yeah. far more quickly than everything else so we don't even know if all those teams that have played the tournaments are going to stay on top week to week so it's so yeah it's, it's a it's kind of <laughs> insane to kind of try to like actually quantify so i'm totally with you on that one mm -hmm. i think one thing too if i could pitch in is like the tier one teams i feel like a lot of the teams could be beaten on any given day. Like the separation between tier two and tier one is that tier two teams, like any of them can lose, any of them can win, but tier one does have some consistency to it. Like we do know TSM, Sen, and um, like Envy and Cloud9. I think those are pretty set tier one teams. Like they seem like they could, they really could beat any team. Like even if it's an open qualifier, like first strike, I think that proves it. One thing I probably want to see more is like in the scrim discord that everyone uses the pro zone, like tier one teams probably should start scrimming tier two teams more often because of the fact that they do need to see what goes on at like this level because they're like completely different gimmicks that people are running and like completely different comps and if they're going to play in open qualifiers then they need to be ready for that as well Ooh, that's kind of a good call i, I always wondered like in the call of duty universe they had like a small bubble where the top teams would never play anyone outside the top 16 would never play anyone outside the top eight and they said it just wasn't worth their time in terms of practice um but this game takes way more brains than Call of Duty does. And I wonder, <laughs> is just learning some of those techniques, knowing the mechanical skill might not be there, uh, is, is it worth? And how deep do you go without risking of making someone else better? Because that's the other argument always at the top. is like, we don't want to make our, our competitors better by showing them how to play. Yeah, I, I think um, it's, uh, it's an interesting one because it is, I feel like you want to hide everything. You want to keep everything close to your chest. And it is, it's just all really dangerous against those teams too, because for example, if you're, if you're the, if, if you're the team that's supposed to win on paper, you know, you're the TSM or whatever, and you're playing against a team you've never seen before from tier three or tier two, you haven't heard of them. They can throw all kinds of stuff at you and, but you don't want to show anyone anything. So you're almost playing at this like weird level where you can't play full Valorant almost because you want to keep mm -hmm. it standard because so everyone's watching you versus them being able to throw the kitchen sink at you to try to get that upset. That's, that's going to be super scary in this open tournament system. And I too did not see who this question came from, but somebody did ask um, what, what you know, are the thoughts around the open system versus more closed systems, you know, what we have in CSGO versus what, you know, Riot Games might be able to provide in terms of tour tournament formats. Like here, for example, we had this big open system, um, you know, where, what's the preference um, for you? I honestly, at the moment, just like the growth stages of the game, I prefer the open system at the moment. Um, I think it's just way more better at drawing out talent, which is exactly what this game needs. Like within the first year or even more is like actually seeing who's good at the game by making everyone compete against each other and not just having 10 invites go out to like the 10 organizations that could or could not have like the best players or the best teams. I think this is really healthy for the game as it stands. But I can see problems in the future if I think it came up when it was like already like actively discussed was like, like tournament organizers, like should we even invest if it's gonna be shut down after a year anyway and they franchise? So uh, there's pros and cons, but as a player, I, I do enjoy the benefits of it. Uh, Alindo's squad wants to know, C9 White doesn't play Silva. Why is that? 
I think Annie can answer this as our old Sova player. <laughs> um, well, uh, let me just preface this with like, we know Sova is probably like one of the best characters in the game uh, next to Breach. Uh, pretty much every pro team runs Sova. And so, and, and we used to run Sova. I used to play Sova for us instead of Raze. But I think our team was running into issues where like, we're running executes and you know jazzy's our other duelist she's going out of sight and then there's three of us with, with holding util like and not, none of us are trading jazzy or taking space so we really ran into the issue where like we have a lot of just like initiators and a lot of support characters but nobody's actually running in and engaging and so i've uh gone back to that role basically of like being with jazzy so we can like make space together and trade off each other and so um yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense good answer there yeah i think um, it's like a an argument for like you can i think you touched on it earlier dan where it's like you can have s tier characters but you need to think about how they synergize with each other as well like you can't have like five s tier characters because like they might not synergize at all i'm not saying breach and sova don't synergize they do like we see tsm sentinels they both run breach sova jet um, et cetera, on the scent. Like, it can be a really powerful team comp if you have it perfectly fleshed out and the team play is there. But just for our team at the moment, uh, I think we benefit more from having, like, two entries as opposed to everyone in beaming holding flashes. Yeah, and that's, again, I, th I think I, I completely... That's, like, one of the things I love about Valorant, actually, is just that there is not a specific way to play the game. Whatever you find most comfortable is, is how you're supposed to play the game, as long as it makes sense and you can do what you need to do. Um, which is what Annie was talking about. So I, that's 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 just a thing that I love about the game um, for me personally. Um, I, I saw this really cool question actually from Tamata. If you could compete at the pro level in any sport, past or present, which game and year would you choose? I was going to ask that same question. No. Good job, chat. <laughs> that's the winner so far. Excluding Valorant, of course, right? No, you could answer Valorant. I'm gonna need a minute to think about this one. And he's uh, definitely not gonna say Overwatch. I'm just gonna let y'all know. I'm spoiler alert. Yeah, I'm thinking about <laughs> any like what other games have I played other than Overwatch? Let's see. Minecraft? Minecraft Championship <laughs> won by Andrew. Nice. Roblox? Nice. Roblox? <laughs> I'm thinking. I don't know. This is super weird. I'm thinking like CSGO 2018 when like. Or 2018, 2019 when Astralis was at its mm. peak, so I could compete against Astralis and look like insane. Like that's that's probably when I would want to play. I feel like the games would be super competitive. Like if I was literally one of the best players and I competed in CS at the same time Astralis was competing, it's like that's legendary if you play extremely well against Astralis, you know? You just dunk on device a few times. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what about you? Former was... Quake Pro. Well, yeah, so I actually would uh, I will answer that, but I want to quickly make a point about um vice from cloud nine blue because into i think it was in 2018 i saw him stand in for cloud nine i think for a tournament where he and he hadn't been at that level before um in the pro cs at a lan and he stood in and he was playing for cloud nine i think and it was against um astralis on inferno was like the first game and, really? <laughs> and it was so funny because um, he was playing banana and getting absolutely oh, yeah. Rip. By, by utility every round, Rap losing like 60, 70 HP just to nades. He hasn't seen a player yet. He's just constantly blind. 
And and then I remember like seeing him um, in an interview like, afterwards, just making comments, just saying like, I guess this is what it's like <laughs> to play against the Stratus. <laughs> and and it's just like you can't do anything. So yeah, that, I thought that was quite a, a funny a funny moment. But uh, but for me, it's interesting because as you say, in Quake, as much as I love Quake and the professional scene, we never had what Counter Strike had, and we always kind of wish that we did because Counter Strike had that stability. And so being a CS pro, you could just play CS. But with Quake pros, a lot of them had to switch games, switch you know, different iterations of the what? game. And it was, it, was, it was definitely painful just because you love competing and you wanted to play the arcade FPS game. So I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, I could, maybe I would say like StarCraft even or, or CS, like maybe CSGO, I'd probably say 2017, 2018. I think those are some good years. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that might be the peak of esports for me. The CS when we maybe even 2016, I felt like that was really fun when we were watching the Brazilian teams come up. Yeah. Um, uh, I for think uh, I would have picked a game that had the internet because I was a Halo One pro and you physically <laughs> had to be in the same room to challenge somebody else. And driving got really boring after a while. So anything <laughs> but H1. Um, keeping the questions coming here, I saw a lot of them. This is Yes Way Station. Who is the most underrated player in NA? And then can I ask a follow-up? Who is the most underrated female player, if that wasn't your original answer? Give me a second to think. Yeah, just scan your memory for every single player on the I literally am right now, dude. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I could just go with like my Cloud9 bias and say that like Relic's has yeah. been super underrated. He's someone who like kind of flies under the radar, but from like every match that I'm watching, he's dude, he's literally dropping like like 20 kills a game plus like like making like clutches. Dude, he's clutching like a ton in I don't know. I feel like he flies under the radar a lot because of tens maybe, but um I've been really impressed with how Relics has performed, especially since he's he's seems to be like really consistent as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Dude, I think literally the whole Cloud9 team outside of 10s is so underrated because they just like people see them as like in the shadow of 10s, but they all are so talented and people honestly forget that. Even like Shinobi, like people shit on Shinobi, but it's I think it's gotten better recently. People are actually seeing the value of having someone like that on your team. But like Shinobi's calling, like you, you never know what it's like, like actually seeing a team. Like you don't know their comms, you don't know how like the chemistry works. And it's like having a player that can like slot right in, has really good chemistry, understands the game, is like well respected by all the players, calls good strats, calls good setups, busts ass. Oh, I don't know if I can say that. Just like really works really hard, you know, has insane work ethic. Like people do not see the value of that. They just see the statistics and they just make like huge judgments. It's so funny to me. Anyway, sorry, I got a little heated. No, that's good. No, that's and that's needed is to remind people it's not just the statistics. There's so much more that goes into a round win. Oh, um, an underrated female player. Sorry, I almost forgot. Yep. Chobo Me. Y'all gotta pick up on this girl, dude. She plays on Team Sheba, plays on like a tier two team, and it's like a co-ed team. And she, like, I don't think even people know she's a girl, but she's honestly insane. Like, she's been playing at this level for months now, and like they've pulled upsets. They've played in like tier one tournaments on Team Sheba, and I think she's hella underrated. I'd be surprised if she wasn't picked up by Genji. Awesome. I think How many female teams do you think we could field right now? I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't. I don't. I feel like we're like the only like female team team, like an actual 
like one that's been together for months already. So I yep. think we have that advantage. I haven't. I really don't. I don't know if there's any other girl teams that are like that at this level that are like a radiant immortal level that compete in tier two tournaments. I, I haven't seen any. I think like literally two. Like that's and that just gives such a shows more incentive to have more interest in like growing the female community because there's only like two competitive teams at that. Yeah, it's like the it's the difference about you know making a team to compete uh rather than like you know just getting in like in like making the team ourselves rather than the pro org just picking five random girl Girls, players yeah. there's gonna be so much internal drama because like teams already have internal drama but when you get you know five people who've never played before and the egos start Force to come into out, team. it's gonna it's gonna be very very messy but um so like if if you want to be a female team like you have to like make it yourself you can't just have an org make it for you in my opinion that's I actually think, really good advice yeah i think i think um so there was an interesting question sort of around this uh, from bonsai who is asking what the difference or you know what do you sort of see to be the difference between the female scene in csgo versus how it is in valorant and i think this is particularly interesting because there's always quirks to every single scene and Valorant so far has been, it's been interesting. So for example, we had some of the, the, the UK CS guys from, from Liquid on, and I was asking them about coming out of the UK CS scene, which in CS was kind of a mess. Um, you know, it seems like you were able to just flourish now because you're able to kind of escape that. I'm not saying that's, that's the case with, um, the female scene in CSGO because I'm very ignorant to, uh, to it, but. Um, do you see Valorant as an opportunity to, you know, what are the things that Valorant can do right that in CS uh, maybe wasn't done as well to help the scene uh, flourish? Like, on, like, absolutely. Like, the Valorant scene is completely fresh, completely new. And it's kind of, I mean, obviously, we can talk about, like, fundamentals being brought over from CS. It's not exactly an equal playing field. But just from, like, a release standpoint and the fact that it's a completely new game, it is fresh for everyone. Like, like you said, we're looking at people from the UK scene, which... I think in CS, they only had like endpoint and like some individual talents that were insane, but they never really broke through to like the tier one international scene. And we can actually see that with female players, um, like the fact that we were able to like catch up and like we're on like a similar playing field because it's such a hard barrier to cross in CS when you're playing against people that have like 10 seasons of MDL on you. And it's like people say you really ha you have to work hard to catch up which is perfectly valid but what do you do when you're working hard to catch up and you're playing someone that's equ that's working equally as hard and has 10 years of experience on you right it's it's not it's a pretty daunting task on top of like whatever shit gets hurled at you for being a woman already so Valorant has been like really like open in the community sense and it is like a completely new field and uh i'm just honestly i'm just pretty excited it's just it's awesome that makes me smile. It, and I want to kind of ask a follow up on this just topic in general, because I've worked with some incredible co-casters, DDK being one of them. Uh, but some of the ladies I've worked with in the past were just frustrated because every time they got interviewed, the first question was about their gender. It wasn't about their talent or their work. How do you guys handle this? Because as you mentioned, you are the only top tier all female competitive team. And in almost every news article, every tweet, all of the social media coverage, it is calling out that fact and that you're representing uh, what we hope to see a growing number of players in the Valorant community and especially in the high level com competitive community. So like, what is just your general feeling about this? Do you feel the pressure 
to consistently be a role model? Do you like or hate answering these questions? Like, I, I want to kind of know what is it like to to live a day in your life as a pro Valorant player? I think Annie has a lot of experience with this. Um, yeah, I guess I have like a lot of experience with like being kind of that like uh sort of like role model figure because I I really got into streaming because I wanted to be like a role model for like LGBT voices. Um. I mean, Twitch in general has a history of a long time of transphobia and homophobia from large creators kind of like not being punished. Like you could be like very homophobic on stream even just like three years ago and Twitch wouldn't ban you. Like you could say like the F word, you could say like slurs on stream. They've recently changed, you know, to be a lot more inclusive finally. But um, I definitely came to streaming to be that like pushback to finally like be that resistance that... uh we so needed and so I guess I have that experience of like being a role model but I think at the same time there's like so much about me that I'm trying to like display other than you know that I'm LGBT and that uh, I'm a girl like player I want to be like skilled like I want to be I want to be skilled I want to be entertaining I want to be like like funny I want to be cool I want to be like all of these traits like underneath like, obviously, I have, like, these surface-level traits that I could talk about for ages, and, like, I have no issue, like, uh, representing that, but I think at the end of the day, there's so much more to me and to all of us that I just want to, like, be known for rather than, like, being known for my surface-level things. And Meg, for you? Meg. Who's Meg? <laughs> Who's that? It's Meg. close enough. It's, it's close, close enough. enough. You know Sorry. what? It's okay. I, I've been called Meg before. It's just funny. It's just, All good. It's my bad. I'm tired. <laughs> I drank way too many cocktails last night. <laughs> Give me a good mouth. You're good. I think in terms of like speaking to like our gender, it's important to like obviously it's important to illustrate like yo these women are talented and they play the game competitively and that's super cool. But I think the bigger point to illustrate is that. Um, we come from a place of like inexperience and we are working really, really hard to like catch up. And I think even the fact that we can get like competitive games against teams that have like former MDL and former pro players is I, I think it's a big fucking deal because coming from like dude, like the most experience we have on CS is like Jazzy has a, like four matches in advance. So she has like a month in advance. I was gonna play on an advanced team. I have no actual advanced experience. And we're playing against people who have like tech FPS fundamentals for like years and years. And we're catching up pretty quickly. And I think that's a huge point to illustrate. And I, I literally work as hard as as other tier one talent. I know it's harder for some members on the team to do full-time school. And they're doing full-time Valorant on top of that. I personally, like, I put in, like, over 10 hours a day in the game every day. And I have to be constantly reminded by the coaches for burnout. But I'm, like, my day starts at 3. Like, I'm watching VODs for, like, 4 hours, 3 hours. I come into team prac. We do offline. We do, like, 3, 4 scrims. And then after, I either stream or I do even more VOD review. Like... I'm putting an equal effort, if not more than some tier one teams. And I think that's important to illustrate. Like, we're not here to play. We're not a marketing ploy. Like, we're here to compete, my guy. So I love that. Yeah, I think that's where I stand. Did you live up to your own expectations in your first tournament together? Uh, halfway. I really, it was with, it was literally within our grasp. To it win. was almost there. I really yeah. wanted to get it top 16. There. It was right there. And I think 
we lost against ourselves more than anything. Like if you look at the VOD, it wasn't more so that the other team outplayed us. I think the nerves just really got to us and we fell into like a trap. I really think we beat ourselves and we it's so possible for us. It's it's definitely possible. Like I can I can say that within like the next first strike, within the next three months, with like appropriate coaching, we'll be hundred percent like a top fifteen, like top twelve, top ten team. Heck yeah, yes. I was, was going to say, like, to, uh, as a follow up to that, uh, you know, as as the takeaway, you know, you're saying you, you beat yourselves, and you know, a lot of I'm hearing, you know, it's a lot about the nerves and the mental side of the game, and you know, and we mentioned about the support staff from Cloud Nine, is and is that the true the true difference maker for you? Have you already sort of just, uh, decided exactly sort of the approach and approaches that you're taking to help to remedy that? Is it just a question of playing more, or have you been spending time, um, you know? Uh, putting things into a different perspective uh, and, and creating different approaches for next time. How how does next time look? That's diff- that's going to help you, it to be different than last time. Um, I think like, next time there's going to be like way less like second guessing of uh, of like strategies and of like execute specifically because uh we we've been a team for four months but we we've done everything ourselves. We we didn't have coaches. We had maybe like a coach for like two weeks. Um, which was strongly shout out. He just helped <laughs> us before like the ignition series, but it was never like he was going to be like our full-time coach. So we, we pretty much did most of the, most of the stuff ourselves. And we trialed some coaches for C9 only like a couple weeks before our debut match. So you could imagine how like, it's a little stressful, maybe even for the coaches as well. Cause it's like, all right, we we have coaches now for a week before like our our debut match. Like that's not <laughs> enough time to like actually get a solid amount of coaching. If anything, it's just like it's just trying to like um build the fundamentals still and everything. So, I think now that we have like we've had coaching for a couple weeks now, um we can definitely see the improvement and just the the way that we execute is just cleaner. You know, we're not like guessing ourselves like i think in the match you can definitely see sometimes we're like we're like waiting for like something but like that waiting is because like people are not like you know they're not aware that they need to be doing something so that everybody else can like follow up and um i think that's going to be it's going to be pretty evident in our next series that we we know exactly what we need to do and if we die it's not a result of like hesitation but rather maybe like the enemy team outplayed us so Mm-hmm. What is the schedule from here then? Um, what does it look like now? Because I've heard you've played up to 12 hours before the first strike, Annie. Uh, Mel, you're playing 10 hours on t- top of everything else that's going on. How do you guys take care of your your bodies? And I guess, what are you doing up until the next competition? What does that schedule look like for the team? I was actually going to say that like, um, like right after Annie is that like one thing too um that we have to improve on and that we're gonna be like definitely working on is streamlining our practice because we actually don't get as many hours of practice as other especially like tier one teams sign teams because we have two people that are like full-time students uh, jazzy's literally in high school nothing we can do about it she has set hours like eight hours a day and then like we honestly like she barely has any time to even do her homework with our current prac hours and um lexi's a full-time college student and our goal is hopefully we can like wean the hours a little bit going into next semester but we really do have to be like precious with our practice time so it's like me and the coaches will be together for like three four hours before the the team hops on and then the team we have an hour and a half and that like every single minute we need to really focus on dry running like vod reviewing what we did wrong new protocols new strats new setups new reactions 
thinking about other comps, like everything, every single minute is valuable. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to pro play is like the efficiency and structure of your practice. So um, yeah, it looks pretty much like 6.30 EST uh, server time until eight or first scrims at eight, second scrims at nine, third scrims at 10. Sometimes you might have a fourth scrim at 11. Um, it really depends. People literally have homework and there's really nothing we can do like with their um, life obligations. And then after that, it's like all individual from there. Awesome. It sounds like you guys are really doing everything right, which is, it's just so awesome to hear. I can't wait to like follow or con well, continue to follow the progress of, of your team and the journey. And, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to have you back on to kind of take stock, you know, later down the line. Uh, I think though, uh, we've run out of time for today. Unfortunately, I know that we can talk for ages about a lot of this stuff, but yeah, thank you so much, Mel and Annie, for joining us on today's episode of Immortal Minds. It's been great to have, uh, having you both on. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for having, having me. You ladies are I awesome. I love Immortal Minds. This is like literally my, one of my favorite live shows. If not, it actually is my favorite live show. I don't know if I said one of, but this is such an awesome thing that you guys have going on. I'm so glad you guys are keeping it up. Hell yes, DDK, number one, <laughs> top of the list. Oh yeah, thank you so much, I uh, love it. Right, uh, thank you all to, uh, to you in the chat as well for you know, checking in with us, asking questions, taking part and supporting the show. Of course, the episode will be going, it is now a podcast too, it'll be up on the, all the podcast platforms for your listening pleasure if you missed the show live. Also, it is going to be, as always, available on YouTube the following day. And I guess the only other thing I have to add is that we have a, a pretty awesome Discord community. I know that, you know, Mel's name's often in the, in the chat there. Um, I'm not as active as I'd like to be, so I might have to fix that. But it's a, it's a great Discord community, the Immortal Minds one. It's a great place to talk about strategy or tactics or to find, you know, like-minded individuals to play the game with if you want to make uh, or help to make your matchmaking experience a little bit better. Like find people who can play, the, you know, agents that might synergize well with you or just people that are cool and are not going to be toxic, which is good enough, I think. But with that said, we'll be live on Wednesday as well, next with our VOD analysis. And one thing we're always super open to is receiving suggestions from you guys as to what VODs you think we should you know, analyze and go through. Um, but with that, uh, that's going to be the end of the show for today. So once again, thank you to all of my guests, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.